0: Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast with me, Michael Tingsa. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In this episode, I had the CEO and founder of On Purpose, Tom Ribbon, as a guest. He runs an award-winning organization that believes in putting purpose before profit and helping people to find work that matters and they will care about. They do that by helping them building new mindset, and skills around leadership with a clear focus on doing good for people and the planet. We talked about the turmoil the world is in and what it means to an organization, the need for a new business and economic paradigm, the importance of doing the right thing in the crisis, and what kind of leadership is required going forward. This episode would help you to get ideas around how you as a leader should build and run your organization in the new future. Some great thinking in here. Enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. And today I have a very special guest with me, Tom Ribbon from On Purpose. He's not from the hospitality industry. And and that's, of course, as always, when those people come from the outside is to provoke and think a bit differently about how we do things. So Tom, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. It's very good to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. So Tom, you come from an organization I just mentioned called On Purpose. You're the CEO of On Purpose. Can you tell a bit about, you know, who you are, the journey, on and the mission and passion behind On Purpose. I am the CEO and
1: founder of On Purpose, and at On Purpose, we develop leaders for an economy that works for all. As is maybe particularly obvious at this point in time, I think many of us are realizing that the economy that we currently have does does not work well enough. It doesn't provide everything everyone needs to live a dignified life, and it also is not operating within the boundaries of our planet. And the way that we are trying to do something about that is that we are trying to develop leaders, talent. Talent, to be able to do something about that from the inside of organizations.
0: How, how does it work? Do I go if I was like thinking I want to do more purposeful work or more impactful work, and uh, I wanted to go and have a job in a, maybe let's call them B corps? That word many people knows. I would go to you guys first to get some, you know, training, maybe to be retrained in thinking a bit differently than you normally would do in a hardcore profit-driven company. Exactly. So the way it works is that uh, we.
1: Uh, run a one-year full-time leadership program. Typically what happens is that people who have, say on average, when they come to us, they usually have maybe six, seven, eight years work experience. They've had a successful career so far, but they've realized that there's something about their work, their job, that just doesn't work for them. It's not satisfying. And they've realized that they're missing that sense of purpose, uh, maybe that sense of impact. And they're looking for a way to change their career. That's hopefully when they come across us and they apply to us. It's a relatively competitive process to get in. If you do get in, You quit your job and you come for us for one year full time. And during that year, we organize four things for you. The first is two six-month paid placements in a very wide range of organizations, but where you are always having some impact, be that social or environmental impact. And you're also always trying to bring into that commercial ways of thinking. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we do half a day a week of training physically, although obviously not at the moment, but normally physically we get together on a Friday afternoon and have training across a very wide range of subjects. And the third and fourth elements are that you have one-to-one mentoring quite intensively and one-to-one coaching as well. And so at the end of this year, you will have gained some experience and lots of knowledge and skills. But importantly, actually, you will have done a lot of personal development and you will have developed a kind of a strong community, both with the people from your cohort, from, from the program that have been through with you, but also to the alumni and to all the other people around about on purpose who who make this program happen, the trainers, the mentors, the coaches. And that then obviously launches you into a purpose-driven career, for one, and also provides you with this you know, very valuable lifelong or certainly career-long community of people who are trying to help bring you know, really quite
0: fundamental change about in how our economy works when people typically are done with that program, what kind of job are they going to go out and what type of companies are they typical joining after this program?
1: One of the beauties I think of the program is that we work with a very wide range of organizations from big corporates through social enterprises, social investors to charities, you know, big and small. The philosophy behind that is really that we think that no one kind of sector or no one space has in inverted commas, the solution to the questions we face. But actually what it's about is about finding the best approach. Approaches from all these different places and making sure that they get connected uh, and, and kind of individual uh, speak to each other so people go on to all kinds of organizations uh, you know we have several alumni we, we call our alumni fellows we have several fellows working for example in ben and Jerry's as social mission managers that's like the kind of big corporate end we also have you know quite a few people in in social investors like big society capital and others many people in social enterprises across the kind of social enterprise space but then also people in more uh, what you might perceive initially more traditional charities be that grant makers or people who are having you know grassroots impact and i should probably also add you know this happens in london paris and berlin so we we run this internationally and so as well as having that kind of cross-sectoral interest and uh, bringing people from different sectors together we're also able to do that a little bit across borders which is a which is another kind of fascinating angle
0: how many years because it feels quite new all this but how many years is it that you have been on the go now with uh, your programs and developing them and of course scaling them across europe we've just passed our 10 year anniversary actually
1: so our first program launched in London in January 2010 in many ways we feel like we've been talking about purpose and this concept and and what it means to create a better economy for a long time and in many ways maybe a little bit longer than than some of the debate has been quite as popular but of course it's fantastic that in the last few years especially uh, you know the topic around purpose and more generally you know maybe systems change to use a slightly more technical word it's great that that's been coming to the fore so much we like to think that we have something to add and to contribute to that debate from the record that we have.
0: Taking it from there and going a bit into the context, what we wanted to talk about, because we had a bit of conversation before, you know, we went on the podcast. Because what is that we're going to talk about? And we talked about, you know, an overhauling. You just mentioned system change. But if we just start with uh, the current situation and what's going on right now, how do you see that your purpose as a you know organization and what's going on now and what is all happening here in a way? If you see it from your guys' side, because again, your measures have never become more relevant in my view.
1: I agree. Definitely. So the coronavirus situation is is a very interesting one, and it's quite interesting to look at from a kind of systems perspective as well, uh, in as far as that's possible to do from you know where we are in the middle of it at the moment. When we talk about systems change and, and, and bringing about an economy that works for all, we often talk about how do we create a healthy economy uh, and how do we need to run our organisations in a healthy way to contribute to a healthy economy. In the context of the coronavirus, I think what is interesting is is that it's exposed a lot of things that are actually not so healthy about how we have historically run run our economy and about some of the, I guess, what you might say, the, the kind of classic or the received approaches to how you're supposed to do things. Let me just give you one example. In a healthy system, and the economy and organisations are systems, so in a healthy systems, when we look at nature, one of the things we realise is that healthy systems always balance two quite important concepts, which are efficiency and resilience. The more efficient you want to be, the more you probably scale organizations the more you limit the number of organizations you would have in an industry etc the more resilient you want an industry to be as an example the more small providers you would have that can double up with each other that you know if one drops out the others can take over etc in nature and healthy systems you have a balance you know you don't just have big organizations you don't just have small organizations you have a, this kind of interesting mix between the two now i would say that in our kind of more traditional economy, we have very much been focused on the efficiency side of things. And when you think about it, that's obvious in our in our historic mindset, because obviously efficiency drives down costs, driving down costs drives up profits. And ultimately, that's what our historic system is, is trying to do. But I think the coronavirus has now exposed some of that efficiency thinking. And to bring that down very tangibly to, you know, Management practices, for example, you know, just in time management, which is obviously a widely used methodology across supply chains and so on, maximizes efficiency, means we don't have stockpiles, we don't have to have too much warehouse space. Everything arrives just in time, a very widely accepted and, and useful concept. But suddenly you have something like the coronavirus and it exposes the fact that no one has any stockpiles, that everything arrives at the last minute and any hitch in the supply chain, like factories in China being turned off, for example you know, suddenly creates big problems because we don't have that resilience built in. Sometimes we have to build in a little bit of resilience at the expense of some of the efficiency. And so that's just one maybe example to make it a little bit more tangible of of why I think the current situation is quite interesting when you look at it through a systems lens.
0: You say that because in a way you are already now molding how potentially the future would look like. It's less bigger companies or players and then a lot of smaller more locally business because one of the things you know coming from the food world i've seen and because i've observed that it's how let's take it from a supply chain point of view butchers vet shops bakers have suddenly digitalized and actually you know found a different ecosystem to serve people in their cities and actually they, they've actually challenged now that whole supply chain is challenging supermarkets but actually supermarkets are seeing drop in some different areas like veg and stuff like that because people go more locally it's a trust thing as well and that's a bit like you know how things were before the whole world was industrialized going back to the second world war almost that you bought from your local butcher your local food producers and supported them the local farmer for that sake is that what you're saying it's it's going to happening in in some kind of form and of course in, in delivered in a new more modern way I think so. I think that's one part of it. You know, that's just one aspect of
1: what I think healthy economies look like. And I'll come back to some other ones, but maybe just to flesh out your thinking with a very tangible example. So I I have moved for a while to to live with my mother, and she lives in quite a rural area. We're trying to isolate as best possible. And especially in the early first few weeks, it was very noticeable that, you know, it's very difficult to get online deliveries from supermarkets, although there are two or three that deliver in this area. But precisely what you said, Michael, you know, the local butcher, the local green sir all set themselves up they got together they advertised on a kind of on the local town's website that they would deliver etc and so these these organizations seemed almost kind of more flexible and able to kind of reorganize more quickly and provide services to you know people who really needed them at the time so yes i agree with you so and I, i think this kind of balance between big and small and medium size is is one aspect of what healthy systems look like there are there are many more i think i guess the overall principle i would say which which gets me really excited is that you know systems Thinking as a discipline has is relatively new. It really kind of emerged in the middle of the 20th century. But it's now advanced to a stage where systems thinkers across disciplines are able to identify, often in quite quantitative, you know, almost mathematical ways, how healthy systems behave and what they look like. And for me, the interesting thing is, because as I mentioned, you know, the economy is a system, organizations are systems. So actually, once you realize that our world is made up of systems, and especially these very complex things that we're trying to understand, like how the economy works, that, that's a system. Once you realize that, and then you realize that we actually have this knowledge from systems thinking around what healthy systems look like, I think it then suddenly becomes, to me, very obvious that we should be combining these two insights. We should be applying what we know healthy systems look like to one of the most important systems in 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 all of our lives, which is, which is the economy and the organizations we work for. And there are quite a few aspects of, of what healthy systems look like. One we've just mentioned about with this kind of balance of different sizes of provision, organizations, if you like. Another, for example, is around the importance of circulation, uh, circulation of resources, circulation of services and products. And healthy systems, for example, circulate resources to all parts of the system. They make sure that every last bit of the system has what it needs. They also make sure that resources get used over and over again, so that they're kind of, you know, it's as efficient as possible again, just to give you an example to make it very tangible, because I'm, I'm very aware that this can sometimes be a bit abstract, but one system that we all know very well is our is our human body. And if you think about your body, you, you have an immense number of cells in your body. You We are largely, or we are partly, I should say, made up of cells. There are 37 trillion cells in our human bodies. And one of the things our body does, which when you think about it is actually extraordinary, is it makes sure that every single last cell has its own blood supply. So it has you know a blood vessel bringing blood in and it has a blood vessel taking blood out. And when you have 37 trillion cells, that is an incredible achievement of the body. And that, that happens all the time. And that's clearly around something that, you know, an insight or a kind of a knowledge, if you like, that it's critical that everyone and every part of the system has what it needs to, to survive and to live and to thrive. If you then think about how, how well do we do in our economic systems or in our organizations on the same front, do we really distribute Resources to everyone who needs them in our countries or in our cities. Well, probably not. You know, do we do that within our organizations? Even we start thinking about pay differentials between CEOs and average workers and that kind of thing. Well, you know, maybe not, we're not that great either. So this kind of way of thinking about healthy systems and what we can learn from them, I think, starts potentially showing up. Not only some of the flaws, maybe in our in our historic economic thinking and management thinking, but also in a very helpful and and quite quantitative way. Can start pointing us in in the direction of this is the kind of thing you should be doing. This is the kind of thing we should be doing rather than thinking about some of the historic frameworks that we've
0: used. What you're saying resonates very well, uh, even though it could be quite abstract because I I read economy at university and one of my friends works in economics and he said that you should read a book that's called Donut Economics. And I got this book and I've started reading it and there's a model in there and it talks a lot about how do you create a safe space for humanity and that's in principle what you're talking about again as well. How do we fairly distribute the, the basics or the, the, the resources everybody needs in a way that everybody wins, both, you know, individuals and the planet? Uh, and then this model is, is quite complex. It's built on, you know food, water, education, income, health, and, and so on. And it, it tries to ask questions around the way you know economies are led today. It's not working, these models, the, the invisible hand and so on. It's an unfair model. And it was quite interesting. Then yesterday I picked up that in Amsterdam, apparently, they are now, this is how they're going to approach the city's economy, a donut economy. And Amsterdam in my world uh, is quite aggressive city. And it's going to be interesting to see what different. And this is due to the this current situation. Situation. They really have put this forward because they've probably been thinking about it over some time. But now they think this is more important than ever to get the city back up and working as, as quick as possible. And that's a city that makes that decision. It's not even a, a, a state or a, a country. It's a city that decides that we need to build a different economy.
1: I agree it's it's a really exciting announcement. and of course, one of the interesting things about it is, is that a city is a relatively definable system. You can draw a little bit of a boundary around a city. I mean, obviously that's not entirely possible, but you can you can envisage a bit of a boundary around the system and say, okay, within this city, we're going to try and make this different form of economics, this donut economics work. Uh, and the fact that they're they've announced this publicly and are going to give it a, a good go in Amsterdam, I think is 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 really exciting.
0: Talking a bit more on these conceptual and complex things, and taking that down, that what does this mean? You know, for you know, because we all know that we are hitting a, You know, there's all over the news the new now, and, and thereby in my world also a new business paradigm for how we you know run businesses. What do you think is gonna happen? You know, both short term and long term when it comes to doing business and the way we conduct business. If the economy needs to change the way we do business, I guess also have to change.
1: I think that's that's true. You can't change the economy without changing how we run organizations. And actually, I also believe you can't change the economy of organizations without us changing ourselves a little bit as well. Ultimately, uh, what I think it comes down to is actually quite a fundamental level, changing the values by which our economy, also actually our society and we as individuals behave. You know, We have a set of kind of quite ingrained values, which we assume is the way that the world works. And some of those values are are well and tested and, and perfectly true some of them actually are, are, are not necessarily the only way the world could work. And some of them are not always that helpful. For example, we have a, a very strong value around competition and kind of winning, which then relates to kind of zero-sum games and all this kind of thing in, in economic theory. That's actually probably one that is not so helpful. you know. And actually, again, if you look at how healthy systems behave, they actually tend to behave in, in, in quite a lot more of a mutual fashion. They behave in ways that the parts add up more, the some of the parts add up to more than, than than each individual thing together, and that's again one of the things that I actually think this current crisis, the Corona crisis, is is exposing or maybe highlighting in quite interesting ways the fact that we are all connected. Again, that is a very kind of systemic way of thinking about it, but we are all connected. I am affected by the fact that someone else who I don't even know, but maybe lives a little a little way away from me, has this virus. You know that affects me, and it's it's being made very clear at the moment that it affects me because I can't leave the House. even though I think I'm not connected to them I don't know them. actually we are all connected that's one lesson but it's also around this kind of mutuality point I think making clear you know when we when we think about for example the clapping for the NHS the helping our neighbors out going and shopping for elderly people or vulnerable people you know this kind of idea of of, of needing to help each other out of what goes around comes around and all these kind of things and, you know some of these in some ways are also quite traditional concepts but I think they are being emphasized by the current crisis and you know my my hope is, of course, that as we come out of this crisis and we, there will be a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. That that we remember uh, some of those lessons and we realise that it is actually possible to run organisations, to run business, and to run the, the economy in different ways. Uh, you know, we have for the past 50 years or so had a had a, I would say, quite a, a one-track way of doing things in a kind of from a. An economic and management point of view. And I think we need to break that a little bit. That's maybe in the kind of short term. And how that's going to work and how well that's going to work, I don't know. And I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm also conscious that it could go either way. From a longer term point of view, though, I think actually the, the coronavirus is a big deal. But I would actually say that we were already before the virus in a big kind of phase of change. Thomas Kuhn, the kind of philosopher of science, Talks about paradigm changes and how in science, in scientific development, the world kind of goes through, or the world of science goes through, different ways of thinking about things. And suddenly, you know, how we thought about the world suddenly becomes obsolete because someone has done some new experiments and they don't work with the old theories anymore. And then there's a period of confusion and a period of upheaval. And, And then after a while, we, you know, we formulate a new theory of how things work, which incorporate these new results as well. And then we're in a new paradigm. And interestingly, you know, the people in the new paradigm don't always or can't always understand the old paradigm because you, you, you think in such a different way. On a very big macro level, that is actually what is going on at the moment in our society and in our economy as well. So from that point of view, even before the coronavirus, you know, this is an incredibly exciting time to be alive and, and to be working and to have the opportunity to make a contribution and to be part of shaping, if you like, and contributing to and discovering and exploring this new paradigm
0: when it all started the first weekend I had a couple of books I hadn't read and one of them was Simon Sinek's new book and he talked a lot about this finite infinitive game what game are you playing as a business and I, I think you can take that down as individual and society level as well that's what you're saying is that you know, things need to have a much more long term now in business the new paradigm is that it's not three year then sell potentially many businesses and it's it's been an illusion you know there's a lot of illusionary money and borrowed money that's not going to be there again you know it's going to be more about you know you have to add value and impact I think it also one of the things I've been starting to pick up and I don't know what your view is that as individual let's call us consumers or people that buy goods we will definitely start asking questions because I can hear people I normally would talk with them are now much more critical about where the meat comes from and uh, the veg and they don't want to go in in a big supermarket because they don't feel it's safe so many things where they're asking questions why this happened and some of them have found out now there is something called the meat industry in china that's actually there that could be the potential source to this the wet markets in my world then the consumer starts to vote with their food dollars or their consumer dollars and thereby you know you will see a change happen from the bottom up But companies will adapt to what people want to buy in the end
1: yeah I, I agree and to your point around simon sinek's book you know what one of the ways that i like to think about this is, is to again go back to the the metaphor, if you like, or the analogy with our human bodies. And if, if you'll indulge me for a minute, if, you know, if you think of your human body as representing an economy, just as a way of making this very complex economic system, let's let's try and make it a bit more tangible. And let's assume it was like a human body, and every cell in your body was an organisation that is producing services and goods. You know, raw materials were transported around your blood, and money is being transported through your blood supply as well, and information is being conducted up and down your nerve cells, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You get the idea. And like what you were saying uh, is. Written in Simon Sinek's book is if you think about how a cell in your body behaves, uh, and, and the equivalent of that would be how an organization in an economy should behave. A cell in your body is essentially trying to do its best, it's playing its part in keeping your body healthy, producing whatever goods and services your body needs to, to maintain health and to maintain life. Now, Uh, If you think about what we expect our organizations to do, that's actually not what we expect them to do. We expect them to grow as fast as possible, to make as much profit as possible, and, and then to give that lot of profit to their shareholders. If you translate that back into the body analogy, you know, cells that grow as fast as possible, that's what we call cancer. You know, and if you if you think about it in that environment and, and you put that lens on it it suddenly takes on a very different spin and we suddenly kind of go oh hang on a sec you know maybe that that isn't such a healthy thing so one of the things that that i'm very interested in and i hope and i and i Well, not just I hope, I I believe has to be part of this new paradigm is how can we get businesses and organizations in general to a point where they think about themselves much more as how do I contribute to making the systems that I am part of healthier? Uh, and so that the collective system will survive. So, in your example, Michael, in your industry, you know in, in the food industry, for example, you know what is it that I need to do to make the food system a healthier place? To make sure that even for generations to come, we will still have healthy crops that we can harvest, uh, that we will have enough food, that we will be able to feed the whole population. What's my contribution to that? And that might sometimes mean actually that I don't maximise my growth. It Might mean that I have to focus on on something different. That's obviously a very big jump. Maybe subtle, but but very profound difference in how we need to think about organizations. But ultimately, I think that's much more the direction we need to head in.
0: We're seeing, you know, Businesses acting differently in this crisis. Some are, you know, more ruthless and others are throwing themselves into almost altruistic journeys to both keep their business alive but also try to, you know, make an impact and make society and help out in society when it's difficult. Feeding people, uh, supporting uh, in in any kind of way they can give their technology away for free and say that could be repurposed to do something else. Why it's important to, to do the right thing in a crisis? Because you talked a lot about that as well. it's Now it's, it's important more to do the right thing than overthink what you need to do from a commercial point of view.
1: Well, I think I think there's actually two things happening. One is that the crisis is exposing people who maybe already weren't doing the right thing to an extent. So for example, people who were doing a lot of share buybacks or something like that and spending a lot of their cash on that to enrich essentially their owners uh, rather than maybe investing in their, their long-term who knows, R&D or whatever it might have been. I think it was Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum said that a lot of people have essentially been caught with their trunk stand. So I think that's number one that the crisis has done, interestingly. I think number two is exactly what you say, Michael, is that people are reacting or behaving in different ways. And I mean, I, I would say always that, you know, you need to think about what is the purpose of your organization? You know, what are you here to do? What are you here to contribute? Or in, in the language that I just used, in what way do you make the system within which you operate healthier? I think if you if you focus Focus on that and think about that and then think about, okay, well, if that's what I'm trying to do, how do I build a business model around that or how do I make that happen? How can I resource myself to do that? Ultimately, I then have a belief that that is the way to do things and to go about things. I think if you, in this current situation, batten down the hatches, just do the commercial thing, try and preserve your bottom line, you know, to be able to restart in future. I'm not saying that that won't work at all, you know, and you may well survive. But I do think that uh, increasingly people will kind of take note of that. That could be your customers. That could be your employees. That could be your investors or shareholders. And I think obviously this situation is catastrophic for many businesses and many people don't have the luxury to think about what they're going to do. You know, they may just be going out of business anyway. But for those of us who do have that luxury and, and can carry on or can maybe repurpose or whatever it might be, I think think it is also an opportunity to behave in this more maybe mutual way in this way that that helps us all get through this situation and ultimately you know i can't prove this to you this is maybe a belief of mine ultimately i think that's going to come back and that's, that's going to help you in future you know i think you've been a great example of changing what you're doing thinking about how you can help out and you were just mentioning to me you know how that's created connections for you the kinds of which you would probably never have come across uh, if, it, if we weren't uh, in such an extraordinary situation at the moment that's a great example if, if a
0: relatively small one of what in vertical is doing the right thing can help too people notice what you do people are looking out and and observing what's happening you can't hide a thing in the world we live in today as well with all the transparencies there's around you know social media and journalism that move so fast you know you again you know there has been some people that really have got their their fingers right and also companies i wouldn't believe that that would happen There, but yeah, you get surprised.
1: It plays into, I think, if you'll allow me, one one more kind of anecdote or example. The way that we think about purpose, and it's very influenced by a chap called Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist who survived the concentration camps. He talks about purpose, about needing to have. This is at an individual level, of course, but I believe it translates to organisations as well. Needing to have. A purpose that is outside of yourself, that is bigger than yourself, that is beyond yourself, and he, call, he talks about this being self-transcendence. And he puts that in opposition to what he calls self-actualization, which is essentially fulfilling yourself. Maybe in an organizational context, that means growing yourself, making yourself more profitable. And the thing that I think is really interesting is, is he says that you know actually if you try and focus on self-actualizing, you will fail. Actually, you can't self-actualize without self-transcending. The only way it works is that you you have to self-transcend. So you have to have a purpose. You need to be serving something bigger than yourself. And by doing that, you might then actually self-actualize. That plays in, I think, to this kind of phrase of doing the right thing, because we also need to do the right thing because it's the right thing not because we hope that it's somehow going to earn us some brownie points. You know, many people refer to this as kind of authentic or inauthentic leadership. But in some ways, it's very simple. You have to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because you think it's going to, uh, you know, make you the connections or, or, or get you the deal or whatever it is. Because I think people very quickly realize if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And ultimately, that is what purpose is about. Uh, you know, you do purpose for purpose sake, uh, not because it's going to lead you on to profit or something else.
0: No, no, and I hundred percent correct. And it's gonna be interesting to see. I talked with somebody that's quite high in the sit in the charity sector, and his biggest concern was that all the help there is now is that gonna be there in six months' time. 12 months' time, you know, is this just a a trend? He was a bit nervous about that. He's really appreciated that was so much help, but the help is also needed in six months' time Uh, in many areas of society, he said, not only uh, when it comes to food and and stuff that's going to be challenges with a, a broken economy that has to be, you know, find a new way of, of working but that comes very interesting to to the next thing i would like to talk with you again with tom you mentioned just leadership you know are you authentic or you're not authentic leader so what kind of leadership is required now and, and going forward because if uh, you know we talked about the economy is gone the business paradigm is gone it's important to do the right thing that's a different mindset you know than uh, your biggest you know morgan freeman's your biggest job as the ceo is make sure that uh, the investor or the shareholder gets the the biggest return. That's a very different approach that's needed now, more than ever.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a very different way of going about things and of thinking about things, a different way of being as well. And it comes back, I think, to the topic I, I mentioned around values and about how do we run organizations according to a different set of values. You know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do, partly because obviously you're going against a kind of prevailing culture that's difficult, partly because ultimately, you can't always go against the culture. You know, we need culture to change with us. And so to an extent, we all need to go through this transition of finding out what values do we want to do business with together. And and we need to, to some degree, all change our, our values and how we do that. I think what we need for leadership at the moment are leaders who, who realize that you can do business and you can run organizations according to different values and who are willing to, at the moment, go slightly against the flow. Um, and do business uh, according to different values, and who will then inspire other people to do that as well. You know, and we we see that a lot already. We see that. I mean, what's so exciting about the current times? I think is that, and I'm talking now not about Corona-related, but you know, at that wider level again, is you know there are so many organizations. Uh, you mentioned B Corp on the continent. We can talk about the economy for the common good. It's called, or there is a, a, an alliance called the Wellbeing Alliance. Or you mentioned Donut Economics. There are an Amsterdam and what they're doing. There There are... all over the place these organizations or like Amsterdam cities where people are experimenting doing things differently you know they are doing business with different values they're maybe experimenting with a different value maybe this business over here is doing value A and this one here is doing value B and whatever but it's amazing you know it's like the world is a great big kind of laboratory and there's thousands and thousands of experiments going on at the same time and we're going to collectively learn that actually you know which ones work and how they work and how we need to lead to make them work and that's ultimately how I see this kind of bigger, wider change coming about? Because the fact that we can do things differently will emerge from all these little kind of experiments that are going on. We need leaders who are open to that, who, are, who, who realize that, who will experiment with that, and who will inspire others to do the same as well.
0: And I, I love books and I've been reading uh, quite a lot of books around principle, bottom-up leadership or leadership without management. So that you actually take the management layout of organization and you actually give more power to the people actually solving the, the job in the front line. In different industries, from caretakers to, to factories across the world, from companies in China, South America, Simcoe is, is a good example. Southwest Airline is another example of where, you know, you, you. one of the challenges I see with leadership is there's been too many management layers. There's been too much politics and bureaucracy in many organizations. And now there is organizations out there going at the forefront and is people advocating for it that. People are quite, you know, they are. In today's world, we are very intelligent and self-efficient people and can actually, you know, manage a lot ourselves. We maybe don't need a manager. We maybe need a, a purpose and a direction that's clear and some clear game rules within that organization. And then we need maybe more a mentor, a coach to take us forward. I think we'll see more people being their own boss in a way within these contexts as, as well. And and that's definitely a different role for leaders, not just being a coach, it's, it's actually being, you know, a facilitator instead of having all the answers. And I think that's going to be even more clear in our very top-down still, I would say, uh, leadership culture in the Western world, if we want it or not.
1: And again, it's it's kind of interesting to then look at how does this happen in healthy systems and you know, how does this happen in nature? And, and one of the things that I found fascinating finding out a little bit more about this is that, you know, in healthy systems, it's not the fact that you don't have hierarchy. You know you actually still need a certain amount of hierarchy because ultimately hierarchy needs to connect, you know, small teams or small players or uh, you know, hierarchy is there to connect and create identity and to allow communication to flow between different bits. So you still need that hierarchy to an extent. But the important thing is that that hierarchy is there to serve, if you like, the front line or the bottom of the pyramid. I think the issue often with our traditional management approach is not necessarily that there is a hierarchy, although I agree with you, I think often there are too many layers of it. But the issue is often that the hierarchy is set up to serve the top of the pyramid, to suck up the power, to suck up the decision making, to suck up the resources, when actually it should be all the other way around. You know, you, you still maybe need that hierarchy, but the hierarchy is there to enable the front line to to make decisions as effectively and efficiently as possible, you know, as close to the problem as possible, and so on and so forth. And then precisely, you know, you get into your, your functions, like you say, well, maybe people who are working in a hierarchy like that, their role is maybe more around mentoring, coaching, collaborating, bringing people together, all those kind of things. So it does require a switch. But again, I find it fascinating that even for something like that, there are kind of quantifiable, you know, very obvious parallels that we can see from how healthy systems work.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's all connected, you know, down from individual, as you said earlier, up to an organization level. I agree, there's nothing wrong with structure and hierarchy, as long as it's used as a framework to serve the the frontline. And this is also what Ken Blanchard, which he's been talking about for years, most of his career about serving leadership, you know, you're in service for your people and, you know, the communities you're part of, and thereby also the planet as a leader. That's your biggest job in a way. And if you sort that out, you will have uh, some very good results as a business as well. That's uh, his philosopher so how do you running an organization over three countries that's all been very impacted by this situation how 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 is it for you as a leader tom how do you keep yourself you know sane mental sharp in all this what is the things you are doing to be ready for, for every day things are changing fast or has been changing fast and maybe calming down a bit now to be honest i think i probably don't do
1: things very much differently from a lot of us but i think there maybe are some some things that i've been trying to do I've, I've been conscious of to take care of myself and that sometimes just means very practically you know what does this situation mean in terms of looking after my family and so on and i think that's an important thing that people need to recognize people who have children who are home from school or whatever it might be again very practically uh, me and my wife had started doing a little bit of yoga every morning, which, uh, you know, I'm getting uh, more and more into, you know, whatever it is, I guess, for me, that principle is probably just a little bit of exercise. I've been realizing that news consumption is some of it is good, but I can go over the top. So maybe uh, I I sometimes uh, realize that I shouldn't always just have the radio or, or the television on or whatever, and I should think about how much that is. So that's number one, that's maybe at my personal level. But then also, you know, within I think the organization, similar principles apply, you know, we need to be kind to each other, we need to take care of each other. I was very aware that as we we all started working from home. It's easy to still have interactions around tasks and deliverables and so on, but we were at risk of maybe losing the kind of more social interactions that we would have in an office otherwise. And so you know we tried to think a little bit about how can we still have some of those social interactions, even if we have to do those virtually and checking in with each other. My colleagues have also instituted a, a couple of just very practical things around more regular check-ins, but not necessarily by phone or video conference, actually just by kind of chat functionality, because it means not everyone literally has to be there at the same time, which can make things easier. So there's there's a bunch of practical things as well. And I guess then at the higher level, slightly more medium term, it's about You know, both trying to see what's coming down the line to an extent, you know, and and planning for that, and being responsible about thinking through what could happen. But at the current moment in time, I think it's very difficult to try and see what's what the situation is going to be in six months' time. And there's only so much planning that it's it's useful to do at the moment for now. So let's think about how much can I usefully say, what can I do to prepare for different kinds of scenarios? But you know, to an extent we need to also be comfortable to let things maybe unfold a little bit more and in systems language you would say for things to things to emerge but doing so in a relatively active way so that you are out there you can see what's happening you can take advantages like you are Michael you know you've changed how, you, how you're running your business for the time being but with a kind of an open mind and uh, an open way of doing things and that's actually I think leading you on to great opportunities which might help you in the medium term uh, as well it's that kind of balance between being prepared and being proactive without beating yourself up or without trying to plan in such detail for something that actually, frankly, we don't know, because there's too much uncertainty still around.
0: Yeah, and I think you, you're spot on that by taking care of yourself first. It's a bit like the flight analogy where that the mask comes down. They always say, put on the mask on yourself first, and then the child next to you or help the person next to you if they need it. And I totally agree. It's something I was- trying to practice myself as well, like how do you actually keep your own energy and alertness because you need this, so such a complex environment to be in and you can't plan your way out of it. You actually almost have to evolve with it and you can't do that without being a bit in discomfort no matter how entrepreneurial or how used you are to ambiguity, you actually need to charge all the time. It's a bit like a battery. I say, okay, we need to switch up for today. You know, we need to stop, you know, at some point. I know some days there's more workloads than others, but it's about finding those moments of, of reconnecting with family and so on. Because, you know, it, it's not going to resolve over the next month or two. It, it's a long-term game, infinitive game, as uh, Mr. Signing says. Is there any last advice, like a top number one advice you would give any business leader out there you think they should start doing now or think about or reflect about as they have the opportunity right now?
1: I actually wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago to our On Purpose community. It's called A Moment of Purpose. And in that, I talk about four things, actually, if you'll let me have four rather than one, Michael, but I'll be short. And they maybe sound, you know, a little more on the emotive side, but let me take you through them. The first thing is, I think, that as leaders at the moment, we need to care. We need to care, like we were just saying, for ourselves. We need to care for our families, our organizations. But we actually, I think this is also demonstrating to us this situation that we need to care even for those people who we don't know that we're connected to ultimately unless everyone in our world is healthy and quite literally so at the moment you know we can't ourselves be confident that we are healthy as well second i think we need to kind of keep hope and we need to be positive and optimistic i I think as leaders we have a responsibility to do that but the third thing is that i think we have to ground that hope in reality We need to know what it's like going through this crisis, even if you are maybe from a very different part of society than one you live in yourself, or if you are in a very different organization or an organization that's been hit in a very different way to you by this crisis. So understanding what other people's realities look like and despite that, still being able to develop hope, I think is critical. And then the fourth and the last thing is, which I think is critical for any leader and for any organization and for us as, you know, a society as a whole is that, is that we need To learn, we need to be constantly learning, and we need to, especially in times of crisis like this, we need to be able to take those learnings. You know, what did happen? How did all this neighborliness happen? How can we maintain that? What happened for things to go wrong in the first place, etc., etc. You know, not in a vindictive way, but we need to be able to take the learnings and then move on. So, care, hope, realism, and learning. I'd say those were my four top tips at the moment.
0: Yeah, they're very good and they all connected. That's like an ecosystem between them. I can, I can see that. So, Tom, thank you very much. It's going to be interesting to follow your predictions or how the world's going to change, what's going to happen, both short and long term. But definitely we're going to come out on, on the other side. And I'm sure there's some people that's got some great food for thoughts and reflection to go away with stay safe with your your family and lots of energy and power to 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 get on on the other side tom you too michael and thanks again for having me on all the best to your listeners as well Tom, thank you so much for your insights on how you think the world will look when it comes to business and economics. And also underline the importance of doing the right thing right now to create an organization that will thrive and survive in the new future. You can find more about Tom by connecting with him on LinkedIn, Tom Ribbon. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate or subscribe to one of our channels. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for your support on these podcasts. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be Maverick.